The spread of mosquito-transmitted virus infections is accelerating in the southern United States. Although the last major U.S. yellow fever epidemic occurred more than 100 years ago, there are renewed fears that yellow fever could return to the region. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Peter Hotez, a professor in the Departments of Pediatrics and Molecular Virology and Microbiology and Dean of the National School of Tropical Medicine at Baylor College of Medicine. Dr. Hotez has co-authored a perspective article about concerns about a potential reemergence of yellow fever in the American South. Dr. Hotez, what types of arbovirus infections have been seen in the southern U.S. in recent years? So we set up our National School of Tropical Medicine here on the Gulf Coast in Texas about 12 years ago because we were seeing this emergence or reemergence of tropical diseases right here on the Gulf Coast. And many of them are insect or vector-borne diseases, including Zika, which of course was emerged in 2016, was in Texas as well as in Florida, dengue in Texas, even in Houston, chikungunya virus infection. All of those are arbovirus infections, as well as non-mosquito transmitted infections such as Chagas disease, a parasitic disease, various tick-borne diseases like relapsing fever, even typhus. But the one that worried me the most, of course, was yellow fever due to its high mortality and historical devastation in this part of the country. And what factors are thought to be driving the spread of these infections? Well, the short answer is we don't really know because it hasn't really been looked at at a granular level, but it appears to be climate change is a big one. Um, and warming temperatures, altered rainfall patterns, that's a big driver. And now people are talking more and more about climate change in regards to health, but it's not climate change in isolation, I think. we What we're seeing is climate change working in concert with social determinants, such as urbanization, which is really revved up here on the Gulf Coast, human migrations. Another big driver is poverty. And the reason why poverty is important is, for instance, here in Texas, including Houston and our low-income neighborhoods, we have a lot of tire dumping. And tires with a little bit of water are great for breeding Aedes aegypti mosquito, which is the major insect vector of many of these diseases, such as dengue and yellow fever, as well as poor quality housing without window screens or air conditioning, if you can believe that here on the Gulf Coast. And of course, inadequate sanitation, lack of access to healthcare. So all of those things put into the mix spell trouble in terms of the emergence of tropical infections, including yellow fever. You say in your perspective article that for nearly 100 years, beginning in 1820, yellow fever decimated southern cities. So what kind of damage did the virus cause and what changed to end that pattern? The big factor was that you had ships coming in from South America and the Caribbean and then going into the major port cities. So New Orleans, Galveston, Charleston, Savannah, Georgia. And then you had ships that would go up the Mississippi into Vicksburg and to Memphis. And from 1820 to 1905, we started to see some pretty devastating yellow fever epidemics. There were also earlier ones up in Philadelphia, as far north, but starting around the 1820s, they were pretty much exclusively in southern cities. So for instance, an 1853 epidemic in New Orleans is believed to have killed almost 10% of the population. That's how devastating this was, 11,000 people. And then in 1878, in Memphis and Vicksburg in the Mississippi Valley, maybe as many as 20,000 deaths and 120,000 people becoming ill. But also the fear and the rapid evacuations of these cities. Memphis basically became a ghost town during that 
1878 epidemic. There's a quote I have in this New Perspective article written in the 2005 book Yellow Jack by J.R. Pearson, J. Ryder, who noted, quote, there is not a single disease today that can terrorize a community the way yellow fever did. Americans living in seaport cities came to dread the approaching summer. The seasonal anxiety lasted over 100 years. And then what would the effect of a yellow fever outbreak in the southern U.S. be today? And what options would exist for a public health response to it? So that was the rationale for writing this, because we have a new White House Office of Pandemic Preparedness, and I've met the new head of it, the new director. I'm very excited by that office. And appropriately, there's a lot of emphasis on emerging respiratory viruses, including coronaviruses like COVID-19 and another coronavirus serious pandemic that could happen before the end of this decade. And of course, the zoonotic influenzas, including avian flu, as well as Nipah virus infection. But I think it's really important. And I wanted to emphasize this unique vulnerability that we have here in the Gulf Coast to arbovirus infections, mosquito-borne virus infections, and to make the point that of all of these, the king is yellow fever in terms of its ability to devastate communities and strike fear. And the fact that we've been seeing now an expansion of yellow fever in places such as Venezuela and Brazil. And with Brazil, it's been historically, we call jungle yellow fever, not transmitted by Aedes aegypti mosquitoes, but by forest-dwelling mosquitoes. The fact that over in the last few years, we've started to see this move closer into more populated areas in southeastern Brazil near places such as Sao Paulo and Rio. We haven't seen yet that it's reached urbanized levels where it's transmitted by Aedes aegypti, but it's not far off to believe that that could happen. And I wanted to sound the alarm that there is risk that this could return to the United States and we're not ready. Even though there's a vaccine available, we don't have vaccine stockpiled. We have a lot of inconsistency in our ability to pick up Aedes aegypti and Aedes alpopictus mosquitoes because this is done at the local level typically. And what happens here in Texas, for instance, where I am in Houston in Harris County, we have a really strong mosquito control department and they're doing active surveillance collecting mosquitoes, looking for viruses. But that's probably an exception. If you go a few counties over, it may be very modest. And that's true across the southern U.S. A lot of heterogeneity in our local health departments to be able to pick this up. And then and we can talk about it, a pretty aggressive anti-vaccine movement that accelerated during the time of COVID. And I really worry what would happen if we had yellow fever and had to implement a vaccination campaign for yellow fever. Finally, and getting back to the issue of mosquito control, you say in the article that we need a comprehensive plan for better coordinating mosquito surveillance among counties at risk. So what would such a plan look like? Well, I think I would like to see something that looks more like what we're doing here in Harris County. So Harris County is a major county associated with Houston. It's the second largest county in the country after Cook County and pretty well-managed mosquito and vector control organization there. I'd like to see that reproduced in other counties across the southern United States and coordinated, of course, with the Centers for Disease Control, as well as drawing up plans, very, very granular plans for what happens if we start continuing to see this rise in vector-borne diseases, arbovirus infections. As I say, we've seen Zika and dengue. And what's the plan if this happens? Because the other advantage is we could accelerate vaccines that have a little bit better safety profile. The current 
vaccine is a live attenuated vaccine. And in those with underlying immune system issues, it can still produce serious illness. So gearing up to improve our vaccines that we have available, as well as now there's a new array of innovative mosquito control programs that use either gene drive and introduce genetically modified mosquitoes, or that use an endobacterial symbiont known as Wolbachia that can reduce the competence of mosquitoes to carry these viruses. And so all of that really needs to be looked at under the lens of this new national pandemic preparedness effort. Thank you, Dr. Hotez.